Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. To be honest, the context of Mark 9, 38 through 50 falls between Jesus' transformation on the mountain and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The previous verses, right before this passage, Jesus confronts his disciples about their argument along the way. No one responds, yet Jesus already knew what they were arguing about and who would be the greatest among them. He told them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and the servant of all. This is when he welcomes a child in his embrace and responds, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Now we enter in today's reading. Just after Jesus tells them who is the greatest in the kingdom of God, no sooner are the disciples complaining about a man casting out demons in Jesus' name, yet He wasn't a part of the selected group of disciples. John even confessed he tried to stop the man. Jesus' response was, anyone who does a deed in Christ's name cannot speak evil of Christ. Whoever is not against us is for us. Even if a person gives you a cup of water in my name, will not lose their reward. Honestly, I'm not sure the disciples really liked Jesus' response. They felt that they were an elitist group and therefore only they could do the healing and the exorcisms and no one else. My friends, we are in a day and age where our society likes to divide individuals and peoples into groups of who is in and who is out. Republicans versus Democrats, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, race, sexual orientation, social economic status, the educated and the skilled, denominations, faith practices, and the list goes on. It doesn't matter what label people have or the category they have been put into. As followers of Christ, all people have divine dignity and are made in the image of God. There are individuals, or are there individuals in your life where you've created an in and out status? Maybe co-workers, family members, neighbors, fellow Christians? Are these individuals given a cold shoulder just because they're not in our in-crowd? Apostle Paul addressed one of his letters to a Christian community where they were giving parental treatment to those who were rich compared to those who were poor. If we want Christ's church to continue to grow, we must welcome all people into this house. If you are visiting today, we want you to feel welcomed. We are glad you're here and excited to see you. Friends, it is so easy for us to go about our way in church and not even notice a visitor or take a moment to welcome them. When we notice a new family or individual, Let us go out of our way to make them feel welcome, not excluded.
Then Jesus continues a list of series of punishments and body amputations in regard to consequences to sin. This passage continues the harsh judgment regarding the sinful treatment of children. We must understand in this historical and sociological environment, children and women were considered property in this, as the same status as animals. Children were often victimized sexually and even discarded as trash. It's unimaginable, but this still happens in our society today. Yet Jesus warns his disciples and audience, there will be judgment for those who commit such sins, and it is better to address the offense now than in, in this life than to enter into judgment with it later. Lastly, Jesus ends this passage talking about salt. He gives one last warning in regards to sin. All of us will be tried through fire. Jesus has said before, our works on earth will be tested with fire. Anything that survives the fire will have been accomplished for the kingdom of God. All other works of the flesh will be burned. So now's the time you're probably wondering how Tracy is going to tie all this together into one theme. I was wondering the same thing when I first read this passage. We're talking about exclusion, forcible drowning, amputation, salt that loses its flavor, just a typical day in Jesus' conversations. But you know, all this points to something. It points to Christians suffering from a sickness, not a bodily sickness, but a spiritual sickness. Jesus is using metaphorical illustration when warning about spiritual sickness. Spiritual sickness can be thought of as an unsoundness of spirit caused by sin. Just as physical sickness weakens the body, spiritual sickness weakens, excuse me, spiritual sickness weakens the spirit where drastic measures must be taken to amputate the limbs. Just as if we let our physical bodies become infected without treatment, we could lose body parts. Sadly, unbelievers are spiritually sick because they're separated from the Lord and stand in need of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Believers can be spiritually sick in a sense they're living in unconfessed sin or they are failing in their personal spiritual growth. Unconfessed sin can fester into our spirit, eventually affecting our personal lives and spreading death to all those around us. Every Sunday in our Mass, right before the peace, we confess our sins against God and our neighbor. The confession expresses our guilt in sinning in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Then the prayer adds why we have sinned. We have not loved you, that is God, with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. How often during this confessional prayer do we have our own sins come to the forefront of our mind? Honestly, 
I don't want to be confessing the same sins over and over each Sunday at Mass. Because you and I, we love God more than the flesh. Each week, we should make amends to our sins and through prayer and the Holy Spirit, strive not to fall into the same particular sin. This keeps our spiritual life healthy, growing, and flourishing with the vibrance of holiness. Holiness? What's holiness? Well, first let me tell you what it's not. Holiness cannot be accomplished on our own strength. Holiness does not come by the flesh taming the flesh. If we take that method, we become no better than the Pharisees, the scribes, and the religious leaders of Jesus' day. We are merely taking new wine and storing it in old wine skins, or as Jesus called the Pharisees, white-washed tombs. It is the deception that everything looks great on the inside or on the outside, going to church, keeping up spiritual appearances, but in our heart, we're really far away from God and possibly dead spiritually. We can only play that game so long before the gig is up. When we are not truthful with ourselves spiritually, denial sets in, and our spiritual health becomes in jeopardy. Infection sets in. Pretty soon, our interior life becomes sick with sin and manifests itself in our speech, our actions, and our decision-making. What comes out of a man defiles himself, not what goes in, the words of Jesus himself. Holiness does not brag or purposely draw attention to itself, nor does holiness belittle others with rules and regulations. Holiness begins in the heart and naturally manifests itself through godly thoughts, actions, and choices. Holiness is found in living and worshiping God through Jesus Christ. Real and authentic worship is when we align ourselves to God and to his will and naturally follow in the ways of Jesus. You see, it is this loving imitation of our brother Jesus Christ that we desire and the desire to be just like Abba like Daddy, our Heavenly Father. Once we are born of the Spirit through the confession and the waters of baptism, we then become infused with the divine DNA. We become a new creature in Christ. The spiritual DNA is empowered by the nourishment of the Holy Spirit within us, pulling, tugging, pushing, prodding, and even knocking on our heart's door to be conformed to our loving Heavenly Father. In addition, it's the Spirit's job to conform us through prayer, through scripture, confession of sin, and yes, even the use of our trials in the struggle towards holiness. Every time you and I partake in the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ, we are consuming God's holiness in a very physical and divine matter. When we walk out those doors, we are carrying the actual physical presence of Christ with us 
into the world. That in itself should motivate us to be holy. It's our job to submit to the Spirit and conform our lives. But how do we do that? It's the dying to the flesh every day and living in the Spirit so that we can be successful. An old Cherokee elder told his grandson, My son, there's a battle between two wolves within us. One is evil. It's anger, jealousy, greed, lies, resentment, inferiority, and ego. The other is joy, peace, love, hope, humility, kindness, empathy, and truth. The boy thought about it and said, Grandfather, which wolf wins? The old man quietly replied, The one you feed. Every day, you and I have a choice. Will we feed the flesh or the spirit? Why should we care about this holiness? Because God loves you and desires the best for us. Before the world even began, God chose you and me to be holy without blemish. It is God's will for our lives to be patterned after God's nature of holiness. God is love. Our lives are patterned after his love. It is that divine love that drives our spirituality. The more holy we become, the more godlike we become. Our lives should be centered on love, loving God and loving others. All of our actions and decisions should be based on that love. If God is love, then we ought to look like God. Yes, on this earth, we will only accomplish so much on this side of heaven in regards to holiness. It's a constant internal spiritual struggle we are choosing against our flesh and towards holiness. But you know, once we enter God in all of eternity, we just relax and grow into God's eternal love and holiness. For all eternity, we'll be growing into the likeness of God. The struggle will be over. As a hospital chaplain, I visit with many patients, and sometimes the topic of church comes up. Shockingly, time after time, patients tell me they used to go to church, but was treated so badly or noticed the hypocritical lies of the parishioners outside of the church, they became turned off of organized religion, never to darken a church door again. Those conversations break my heart. How tragic. It is these type of Christians who are turning others off of Christianity or God completely. You know, we Christians, we can be our own worst enemy if we let our flesh triumph through godly lives. I've been caught up with a Netflix series called Greenleaf. I don't know if any of you have seen it or are watching it now. It chronicles the life of an African-American family whose father has built up, uh, over time, a mega church. His entire family's on staff. 
Of course, there's lots of drama as the family tries to live their lives as pastors, yet they're all hiding various secret sins, which at times comes to light and the family goes into damage control. I remember one scene where the granddaughter of the pastor was telling her estranged father she really did enjoy going to the church. Her father had been divorced and was not apparently attending church or believed in Christianity. This is what he said that struck me. I had to pause it and I had to write his words down. This is what the father told his daughter. Don't tell me you want to go to this church where all the people talk about holiness, but their lives are just as bad as everyone else. Don't be fooled. We are being watched from within and without. If there's any hint of us being a Christian in society, we are being watched to see if we are Christ-like. Words have become kind of cheap in our society. I'm at the point of thinking, maybe I shouldn't tell people about Christ unless they ask. Instead, maybe we should live our lives in a way that people want to ask us about God. Thomas Merton said, Don't be too quick to condemn the man who no longer believes in God, for it is perhaps your own coldness and meteorocracy, and materialism, and selfishness that has chilled his faith. I believe every sermon should have good news. We are never so far from God that God cannot forgive our sins. If you've been listening and feel your life is going in the wrong direction, and you've made a mess of it, there is hope. Just like the prodigal son, Our Heavenly Father is quick to forgive and to restore. Any one of our priests or deacons would be glad to sit down with you. Just ask. You can get your life back on track and live a life full of hope, love, peace, and yes, holiness. Or you've realized you don't have a relationship with Christ through God. You're watching online or you're sitting here today and want what we have Reach out to our staff. We are here for you. Our society, our family, our friends, our co-workers, and many more need your holiness like pure salt. Holiness that will preserve the love of Christ in a world bringing others closer to God. Holiness that will break down dividing walls. Holiness that will heal and transform the hurts of others. And holiness that adds the flavor of Christ to a bland and tasteless society. Someone needs to be flavored by your holiness. God has called you. The table has been set. The food has been prepared. Is it time to pass the salt?